Tschüss. Appreciate you folks joining us. Hour three underway here. The wonderful excellence that is WBT. This allowed me to be your host guiding you through this chaotic world, at least for a few hours, and giving you a reason to smile. Because underneath all of this, there's always a sense of optimism. Conservatives are nothing if not optimistic. Now, sometimes we're optimistic that things are going to get much worse. But in general, you know, we enjoy living life. We just want to be left alone. We want the, the least government we can get, uh, you know, the, the most government we get for the least price. But actually, less government is probably a good thing. That's in general. I, I, I saw I'm a big fan of the show Meat Eater. I can't recall the guy's name right now, but he's an amazing writer. And, you know, what I loved about what he said about environmentalists is 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 that a conservationist, and not to be confused with conservatives, a conservationist is just an environmentalist with a gun. Love that because I've always been an outdoorsy kind of guy, and I just don't get the kind of ultra lefty kooky stuff that uh, I half the time the stuff they do isn't productive for the environment. I don't want to get mired in that today, but I appreciate you folks joining us, listening. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT, 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110. If you'd like to get in on the conversation, you're welcome to do so as we await hearing from Speaker Moore, who may be tied up and may end up with Pete tomorrow as he returns. Now, getting into a rather, uh, this is a little bit more in the weeds a little bit, but I want to get to it because the issues in our schools go way beyond masking. The Loudoun County school situation in Northern Virginia became the battle cry for parents that were just becoming not just masked, but the entire CRT, critical race theory debate. So many liberals try to say, no, see, critical race theory is not in the schools. I had people trolling me all the time. They're, oh, see, it's just proof. It's not in the schools. Well, it is. It's, it's not called CRT, but it's this It's this way of castigating one race against another, blaming one for everything and making them all feel different and teaching a very, a very unique leftist 1619 project perspective and, and really creates a divisive sense of things. So the Wall Street Journal has an opinion piece today, and, and I, I don't know. It, it's very – it's one of those pieces that makes it very difficult to translate into regular discussion. It's a little highbrow. Last spring, the Wall Street Journal writes, we exposed how two elite independent schools in New York had become corrupted. And don't think it's not in North Carolina schools. It absolutely is. When the state school board went in to try to do things, and Catherine Truitt, superintendent of public instruction, was looking at this, she just changed a couple words, but they still pushed some of this into the schools. It's not gone away. This issue isn't going away. And they've changed the name of a lot of what it is. We'll get into that. The Wall Street Journal piece does. Last spring, we exposed how two elite independent schools in New York had become corrupted by a divisive obsession with race, helping start the national movement against critical race theory. Schools apply this theory under the guise of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, remember, we talked about new phrases that are being introduced and pushed to your level, to our level, to everyday discussion. BIPOC is one of those. Blacks, indigenous, people of color. So it's BIPOC that includes many more people. It's a new phrase. So you forget, oh, we don't use those old phrases. The new phrase is BIPOC. You can get a discount. If you're BIPOC, you get a discount. These kind of things. Divisive, divisive, divisive. So now, instead of it being CRT, it's called Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Programming, DEI. 
It's in your schools. It's moving into more schools. Schools apply this theory under the guise of diversity, equity, and inclusion programming. Until now, however, neither of us fully grasp the dangers of this ideology or the true motives. The goal of DEI isn't only to teach students about slavery or encourage courageous conversations about race. It is to transform schools totally and reshape society radically. Over the past month, the writers write, we watched nearly 100 hours of leaked videos from 108 workshops virtually last year from the National Association of Independent Schools, People of Color Conference, the NAIS, set standards for more than 1,600 independent schools in the U.S., driving their missions, influencing many school policies. The conference is the flagship annual event for this group for disseminating DEI practices. And more than 6,000 DEI practitioners, educators, administrators attended this year. Intended as as professional development and not meant for the public, these workshops are honest, transparent, unfiltered, very different from how private schools typically communicate DEI initiatives. The leaked videos act as a Rosetta Stone for saying what they're going to do. The path to remake schools begins with the word diversity, which means much more than simply increasing the number of students and faculty of color, referred to in these workshops as BIPOC, which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. DEI experts urge schools to classify people by identities. In other words, instead of just saying, you guys are all students, let's look at people and, and identify what race, color, whatever they are, and let's identify them that way. Convince them that they are being harmed by their environment and turn them into fervent advocates for institutional change. In other words, use the classroom to create an army of social justice activists and warriors. Use it as an indoctrination. You're not surprised. In workshops such as integrating healing-centered engagements into a DEIA school program, racial trauma and the path toward healing. We learned how DEI practitioners use segregated affinity groups and practices such as healing circles to inculcate feelings of trauma. Even students with no grievances, even with students with no real problems here, are trained to see themselves as victims of their ancestors suffering through intergenerational violence. In other words, things that happened 150, 200 years ago, we want our students to feel that pain now. We want them to feel the victimhood. You're the victim or you're the oppressor. The next step in the school's transformation is inclusion. Schools must integrate DEI work in every aspect of the school. Every facet of the curriculum must be evaluated through an anti-bias, anti-racist, anti-oppressive lens. In Let's Talk About It, Anti-Oppressive Unit and Lesson Plan Design, we learned that the omission of this lens, failing to explore the intersection of STEM and social justice, constitutes an act of curriculum violence. Now, I say all this because here in Charlotte-Mecklenburg, you've already got this racial equity. You've got diversity. It was a, it was a train wreck yesterday because they had to fire somebody, or they resigned rather than get fired. $250 million. You're not just doing it in the schools. You're doing it in your city, county government. This isn't just this, it's 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 creating the new army while retraining the existing army and making the entire society remolding it into an us versus them mentality or victim versus oppressor. All school messaging must be scrubbed of non-inclusive language. All school policies of non-inclusive practices. All libraries of non-inclusive books. Inclusion also requires that all non. I love this one. This is just kind of the b- bizarre nature of things. All non-BIPOC stakeholders become allies in the fight against the systemic harm being perpetrated by the institution. In small activists, big impact, cultivating anti-racist, we were told that the kindergartners are natural social justice warriors. That's a quote. Kindergartners are natural. You know why? 
Because if you've got an active attempt to brainwash kindergartners, it's kind of easy. So instead of filling them with knowledge, instead of filling them with the ability to learn, what you do is you, you, you plant in them belief structures that are making them. You're using them to propagandize. You're using them. This is like, and, and again, I don't mean to be, and people are going to be mad, but they, remember the Hitler Youth. <laughs> It was it was the indoctrination in schools. There, there's a reason why the left goes to schools, and I'm not I'm not using pre-war Germany or Germany as the example, but they understood this. So Ryan apparently is an aficionado of music and gets the whole bumper thing. I am a massive fan of various pieces of bumper music. Ryan gets it. My sister is a music snob. She's a purist. She actually works for a group that classifies music. So the ins and outs of music for her. Our legend. It's, it's unbelievable. She's 11 years younger and worked with the same music research firm. But Ryan gets it. Ryan's got good taste. I don't know. Some of the other stuff, I think I think Pete's picking, and, and I'll have fun with Pete, Pete at some point. But Ryan, see, I can tell it's you versus, you know, Pete. Pete's going to go old school. And it's, yeah, I, and I want to give it to you because I think you deserve it. <laughs> I'm a big fan. I thought you were going to throw Kryptonite three doors down on there, you know, that upbeat kicking music. But, uh, Anyway, it's, it's been a pleasure and, and so much fun. You want to get in on the conversation today? 704-570-1110-570-1110. Here at News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Now, I've, I, a number of people have tweeted, talked, discussed, spread it around, put it on their Instagram, Snapchat, wherever, about the concept of freedom. As, as we in, in America are watching our northern brethren, we're seeing this convoy of truckers that they're simply trying to get out of this horrendous mandated existence they're in trucks they're on the road they're usually not around anybody except to stop at a truck stop get cleaned up and get to their client and and they're just trying to get you know some freedom and and freedom isn't an amorphous it shouldn't be an amorphous term freedom personal freedom personal responsibility but freedom it's a big thing for for americans and it's apparently a big thing for the canadians who would have thought that they would have become the bastions of freedom, or at least the the representation? And who would have thought that Justin Trudeau, this kind of mousy guy that wants to get along with the global warming crowd and the elites, would become kind of this coward-turned-tyrant in that same period of time? You know, hiding from them and then coming out and, and just stopping short of declaring martial law and, and, and really becoming a zealot. And how acceptable that has become to the political left. This zealotry, this tyrannical... That there are many on the left that are applauding his move. How dare those truckers? How dare they express the freedom? I mean, after all, freedom is, an, is the new F word. And you think I say that in jest. I don't. It's easy to mock. It's easy to mock the left. But freedom matters. Freedom really does matter. There's a great, uh, over at Spectator World, there's a good column. I don't know that I will do it justice. And but he's but it's written by Roger Kimball. It's it's a fascinating piece. I'm not going to get to all of it, but he says, "Quick, what do you think when someone tries to convince you of something by prefacing their remarks with the phrase experts say?" He says, "I think of that rude two word imperative dramatic origins that ends in you." <laughs> Excuse my French, uh, and I didn't say it. The f word, freedom, freedom. I can't say for now until they take it away from me. The right to do so. Uh, you know, the the experts are also known uh, or not necessarily expert, possessing a high degree of skill in or knowledge of a certain subject. For proof, we offer the name of Anthony Fauci or the organization that glorifies in the acronym CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. They are both a bit like Michael Avenatti, once championed everywhere as a genius in presidential material, but now universally exposed and discredited. Remember last year when the public health expert said that it was dangerous for people to gather in crowds, but entirely okay if the gathering was for the purpose of promoting BLM? 
Fun times indeed. In the coming months, as the Democrats loosen the preposterous virtue-signaling counterproductive mask mandates, requirements to display your vaccination status, just remember that it is not because the science has changed. The data never supported these draconian expedients. What changed are poll numbers. And the Democrats are very nervous about 2022. They are right to be nervous. But alas, the author says he digresses. The plague of experts we face is akin to the plague of locusts vividly recounted in Exodus. And the locusts went up over all the land. Very grievous were they, for they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened, and so on. The key thing to appreciate, however, is the link between experts and another short word beginning with the letters E, elites. Wouldn't you know it, just as our so-called experts are not really experts, so our elites are not really elite. What makes an elite? Secretary of State Anthony Blinken say, an elite. What does he have that you don't? A close association with Harvard? Of course, by which I do not mean the institution in Cambridge. That goes by that name. But the state of mind that the super-rich credentializing epitomize. And here's another key element in the identity kit of the non-elite elites. Their deep involvement with experts who are not so much experts as allies for policies they want to propagate and attitudes they want to manage. The most splendid phenomenon that we've seen recently was offered by the Canadian Broadcast Corporation, an entity that is reliably as soy as CNN, MSNBC, or the BBC. Reflecting on the Freedom Convoy, the peaceful protests by truckers opposed government-imposed vaccine mandates, the CBC explained that the word freedom, and I'm getting to the heart of the matter here, that the freedom has become common among far-right groups, experts say. Experts say. So now the experts are telling us that the word freedom is taboo. The tweet, and I'm, I'm going back to the column, they, they link to articles. When we learn that the idea of freedom can be used to reject equality, and that's what the left wants to do. So the left wants to tell you that freedom is being used by the right as an excuse to reject equality. Now we go back to Charlotte Mecklenburg and this equality situation that we've got going on. Remember, they're trying to say that freedom is anathema in opposite to, in opposition to, and antithetical to equality. On the far right, another expert assures us, individual freedom is often translated into somebody who refuses to be bound by the norms of equality, treating all people equally or norms to remedy inequality whether that's trying to remedy racial discrimination or gender discrimination. The word has been used by far-right groups as part of pushback against efforts to remedy inequality. Charlotte, are you listening? Extra credit if you can parse that. It's grammar, first of all, but also by showing how it could have been appropriated almost verbatim from George Orwell's 1984 as a classic example of Newspeak. Extra, extra credit if you notice how the word freedom was transmuted into individual freedom and that the word individual was injected you could say vaccinated, as a pejorative term to be contrasted with the idea of groups, rights, social interdependence, and so on. <sighs> this doesn't end well. The point being, it's not just the Canadian folks. It's not just the three-letter news agencies. It's not just MSNBC. It's the left. The left has tried to make anything on the conservative side seem far right. If you'll notice when they say they talk about white supremacist group, but they never identify who those people are. They talk about, you know, the, that, that everything's fringe out there. It's not. It's not. It's normal conservative ideology. They're trying to make the word freedom the new F-bomb. It's not. Don't let them take away the concept of freedom from you. You can't. You can't do that. Because if you do, there's no coming back from it.
It's this very Orwellian newspeak. There's no, it's a great compare. Whether you read Brave New World, if you, which is Huxley, if you're reading, you know, Animal Form or 1984, if you're reading, you know, any of these great dystopian pieces, you can see. I mean, even a Fahrenheit 451 or Ray Bradbury, you can you can see these people were way ahead of their time, looking ahead and saying, at what point do you start discrediting the ability to discuss freedom in free ways? Ryan and I are definitely going to have to hang out sometime, compare war stories, and listen to good bumper music. So, <laughs> appreciate you being a part of the show today. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender as we close out the third hour. We got a couple more segments. If you would like to get in on the conversation, 704-570-1110, News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Let me give you that phone number again. 704, well, that's the area code, 570-1110, 570-1110. You'll move to the front of the line. You get to go on the air and just let folks know what the heck is on your brain today. So a little bit of fun. Not fun. Not, well, fun for me. Maybe not fun for you. But you you have to wonder. So, And I have to talk a little bit about the global climate stuff because as boring it is, you know what? I used to could put it, you could put it on a show or you could put it on a uh any kind of, of, of bull, uh, uh, I, I used to maintain several blogs and stuff. And you could tell people would, 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 you would mention climate change or anthropogenic global warming, and it would just, you could hit the snooze button. You could just watch people fall asleep reading it. Here's some easy reading right before you go to bed. Read about climate change. It puts you right to sleep. Here's the, the weird part about that. It's not weird. It, it's just, it's, it's worth knowing. These policies, if enacted, will take away your freedom. And I say that because a lot of people don't put this together, that that the 1970s Earth Day that was all about heading into a, an, a, a basically a blizzard apocalypse. We were held, heading toward the new Ice Age and the population bomb, a guy named Paul Ehrlich that was constantly talking about, we're going to overpopulate, we're not going to be able to feed the planet. That was the original Earth Day. That was 1970, original Earth Day. All of these horrible things were going to happen. The, the environmental left is always the perpetual chicken little. The world is going to end, but it's always going to end just slightly out of range of where you, you – so whenever you say, well, it's not ending, and they say, well, it's, it's just good. give it 10 years, and then the next 20 years, we're going to be baking. We're going to be baking on the planet. We're just going to be sizzling like pork on a grill. It's just us. We're dead. It's just you don't realize it's going to happen. It's always just out of reach. So as the 1970s unfolded, the climate change movement, which was really about the Ice Age, shifted and started. we started seeing this global warming thing percolate up. Meanwhile, population increasing. And remember Live Aid, and, and you're going to help all these kids and, and, and feed the world, feed the children. And it turns out it wasn't that we couldn't get food to them. We had a corrupt government over there. You don't hear about this kind of famine anymore, unless it's government turmoil and war. We have more people on the planet than we've ever had. It's likely that we're going to hit peak planet, and not because we've limited capacity. It's because deaths are going to catch up with births, and it's going to kind of level out a little bit. That's prognostication. It seems to be true. It's leveling out more. But we are, we were able to feed more people than ever before. Our, our ability to grow, our technology has changed. We've become better, more efficient. We can deliver goods and, and products all over the place. This is a, a true marvel. So there is no population bomb. There is no can't feed the population. In fact, we have, we have people <laughs> – when you see homeless people that are 250, 300 pounds, only in America do poor people drive cars, have cell phones, and, are, and, and, and have the capacity to be overweight. That's not extolling the virtues of being homeless. It's just a statement of fact. 
But when you when you look at this, so around the nineties, the, the the leftist in this country recognized they fully recognized the power of the climate change message, because socialism just wasn't it just wasn't gaining popularity. Government control over over a lot of our economy wasn't working. Global control over the utilities wasn't working. Global control, I mean, excuse me, government control over utilities, means of production, business. It just wasn't pop. Socialism just wasn't selling. It wasn't working. But the left realized that if you that the climate change was the greatest asset to socialism we've ever seen. Because climate change is different. Under the auspices of climate change, you get to the, the socialist goals. Under climate change, you get to control the means of production and energy. You make it where government has much more say-so in the means of production of energy. Oh, we got to get rid of this. We can't have nuclear plants, even though they're clean. We can't do it. We have to have wind and solar. We have to control that. We have to get rid of what it also gives us the ability to get rid of. The environmentalist goals get rid of all the production of, of coal, fossil fuels, all of that. And the government demeans and control and, and, and really ration how much energy you have the right to consume. Under, we got to save the planet. The only way to save the planet, government's the only thing large enough to save the planet. Government, government, government. So, but, but then you have to look at some of their policies. And one of those is ethanol. Government's propped up ethanol. You go to the gas pump, you put it in, it's got some corn in it. You know, you put it in your gas tank. Yeah, that's kind of weird, but okay, I've been doing it for so long, I don't even notice. February 14th, Reuters, corn-based ethanol which for years has been mixed in huge quantities into gasoline sold at U.S. pumps, is likely a much bigger contributor to global warming than straight gasoline. What? How could a green plant like corn contribute to global warming? That's not possible. Gas bad. Corn good. Makes consumption of tacos look different. Anyway, the study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences contradicts previous research commissioned by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Huh. Go figure that one. Showing ethanol and everything's to be green. President Joe Biden's administration is reviewing policies uh, on biofuels as part of the broader effort to decarbonize. By the way, all life on the planet Earth, pretty much based on carbon. You, me, them. Yep. Even the stuff that grows in your yard. Carbon, 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 carbon. Corn ethanol is not a climate-friendly fuel, said Dr. Tyler Lark, assistant scientist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison Center for Sustainability, which has given you kind of the credentials. That's a lefty. And he's saying it. So this is putting lefties, and I love it when lefties go to war. By the way, they're never excited when good things happen. When an endangered species is recovered and we're doing well, they're not excited about it coming off the list. They don't see that. as, but They, they never are excited that things are getting better, that our water is better today than it was 50 years ago. Air, air is better than 50 years ago. They, they, it's always the end of the world. The research, which was funded in part by the National Wildlife Federation, wildlife? U.S. Department of Energy found that ethanol is likely at least 24% more carbon intensive than gasoline due to emissions resulting from uh, land use changes to grow corn, along with processing and combustion. In other words, you have to take the tractors, fill them up with fuel. You got to go to the, the, the store to get the seed. You got to take the seed, put it in the ground using fuel. Then you got to bring the harvesters back. You got to harvest the corn, fuel. You got to do all these things and use all of these things to make ethanol. It's very carbon intensive, and they're just now coming up with this to the point that you can, can burn it. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, the ethanol trade lobby, called the study completely fictional and erroneous, arguing the authors used worst-case assumptions, cherry-picked data. Of course, it, it doesn't agree with my lobbying group, so I've got to put it down. We can't have honest discussions, can we? Because, after all, who pays this guy? 
Under the U.S. Renewable Fuel Standard, a law enacted in 2005, the nation's oil refiners are required to mix 15 billion gallons of corn-based ethanol. Now, corn-based ethanol subsidized by your taxpayer dollars are paying farmers to grow corn to burn, not to eat. Special shout-out to Ryan, not just for music, but also, uh, look, his he, he mines stuff and and really that that's the sign of a producer that doesn't get mentioned often mining information stories and i appreciate it i was on my own role done my own prep but ryan throwing a lot of stuff out there i appreciate that it's been great this past four days this is uh, finishing up my fourth day with with pete show and you know welcoming pete back does a great job knew him in his wwnc at wbt and wwnc back here so uh, just great, great folks at WBT, one of the just an amazing station that of all the stations I've had the opportunity to work with in, in North Carolina and elsewhere, really a stellar, stellar group of individuals, uh, management, everything just top notch. So I appreciate that. Now, I want to I want to finish up with this corn based thing as boring, though, it may be. But here's the deal. The, the left is the one that pushed for all this ethanol. And many of you will remember if you ever had a if you ever had a chainsaw or weed eater from the early 2000s, you put if you had any ethanol stuff, it was dry rot the heck out of your small engine it just would ruin you have to get all new you know pipes and hoses and everything it was just ruining in certain cars it would mess up the engines so the, the the damage the environmental damage from having to replace all these engines was one thing but it didn't it didn't live up to its promise i mean fuel that you pull out of the ground the the, the uh, a tremendous amount of energy that goes into making all that fuel has been done millions of years ago and the, the stuff we're doing now with growing corn, you got to till the soil, you got to put nitrogen in the soil, you got to get the get get the corn to grow, then you got to harvest it, you got to produce it. There's a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. So the, the beauty of the corn-based ethanol stuff is you've got one group of environmentalists that have declared war on the other group of environmentalists. Those who want all those subsidies and people to grow corn not for food but to burn uh, versus environmentalists that are saying, wait a minute, you know what? This is a little short-sighted. It's not really working out that well. This stuff is actually worse. Worse. Uh, you know, people want to say that ethanol's carbon intensity was 39% lower than gasoline, in part because of carbon sequestration associated with planting new cropland. <laughs> but, but that research underestimated the emissions impact on land conversion. The US EPA does not, well, the USDA doesn't want to talk about it. It's, it's a mess. It's not. Now, to get to another one, I want to get to another one because this illustrates the other problem we've got. We love to look at things as they are right now as if we have lots of data from 50 years ago that's just as good. We have temperature gauges in places we didn't have temperature gauges 50 years ago. We have uh, ocean buoys in place we didn't have them 40, 50 years ago. We certainly have more than we had 100 years ago. So when people say, oh, there's uh, something, and this is a fascinating story. I hope I can get to it before the top of the hour. The most extreme rogue wave on record was just confirmed in the North Pacific. This was just posted yesterday. And this goes back to the very topic we were just talking about. And I'll, I'll, and it, you won't see it coming. I promise you won't see it coming. In November of 2020, a freak wave came out of the blue, lifting a lonesome buoy off the coast of British Columbia, 58 feet. The four-story wall of water has now been confirmed as one of the most extreme, as the most extreme rogue wave ever recorded. In other words, it wasn't a tsunami. It was just out of the blue. 58-foot wave. That would freak me the bleep out. You know it, would you too? Such an exceptional event is thought to occur only once every 1,300 years. Why would we think that? Because we don't have many buoys all over the planet Earth. We do now. And unless the buoy has been taken for a ride, we might never have known it ever happened. For centuries, they were considered nothing but nautical folklore. It wasn't until 1995 that myth became fact. On the first day of the new year, a nearly 85-foot wave suddenly struck an oil drilling platform 100 miles off the coast of Norway. At the time, the so-called Dropner wave what defied all previous models scientists had put together. 
Since then, dozens more rogue waves. Remember, once every 1,300 years. But since 1995, dozens more have been recorded, some even in lakes. And while the one that surfaced near Vancouver Island was not the tallest, its relative size compared to the waves around it was unprecedented. They define a rogue wave, in case you've never heard of this. Now, it makes you afraid to be on a cruise ship, doesn't you? I'm on my cruise ship and a 58-foot wave hits me. It's a Poseidon adventure all over again. Sources define a rogue wave as any wave more than twice the height of the waves around it. The Dropner wave, for instance, was twice the size of the 12-meter tall, or basically 15-foot-tall waves near it. In comparison, this particular wave was three times the size of its peer waves. Only a few rogue waves in high seas have ever been observed, nothing that size. Today, researchers are still trying to figure out how rogue waves are formed, so we can better predict when they will arise. This includes measuring rogue waves in real time and running models. The buoy that picked up this particular wave off Vancouver was placed offshore, along with dozens of others, by marine labs in an attempt to learn more about hazards in the deep. So this is the thing. The oceans are so vast, we don't know how many rogue waves there are. They happen. Not, I mean, it, it, not, we're not talking about places where you know giant waves are surfed by folks in Spain or something. We're talking about just freak waves out of the blue. But I love that some ships that went missing in the 70s, for instance, are now thought to have been sunk by sudden in looming giant waves. The leftover floating wreckage looks like something hit it. Unfortunately, a recent study predicts this is what I love. I love this is the part of the story. So we have a story. It's interesting. It's scientific. It's based on rogue waves. It's based on, you know, you don't, you want, well, we're learning more about them, not tsunamis, but these rogue waves. Absolutely fascinating stuff. But at the end of the story, and I find this, and, and, and I challenge you as, you, as you are reading, many of you are intrepid readers like myself, and you're reading scientific journals, you're reading nature, you're reading science, you're reading The Lancet, you're reading different things. Notice how people will put editorial comments in the end of a story, embedded in a story that really have nothing to do with the story. This story is about rogue waves. And in it, they find a recent study. So they dig out a recent study, by the way, that has been challenged by many folks, that predicts wave heights in the North Pacific are going to increase with climate change. Now, nothing about, so that, that's the end of the story pretty much. They don't tell you why. Why would there be more rogue waves with climate change? They don't tell you. It's just yet another thing to pile on. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly fascinating. It's like someone wrote a long time ago, was the weather better? Who's going to be in charge of the global thermostat? Because I certainly don't want the Trudeau crowd or the Biden crowd. Do you want a global thermostat? You want to set it in Seattle? Who's responsible for setting it? Were we better off when there was a mile of ice over Chicago? No, we were not. Millennia ago, that was the case. By the way, Greenland used to be green. They called it Greenland for a reason. Just amazing the, the way in which folks twist things around. But again, you're reading this really interesting story about wave, even waves, and they couldn't resist putting, well, a study says these are going to become. So now you've got people up in Vancouver going, oh, my God, we're going to have 80-foot waves crashing ashore on a regular basis because I don't use enough ethanol. If I just put more ethanol, then I wouldn't have rogue waves. If I would quit doing whatever. Wait until, you know, if you ever watch Black Mirror, for those of you sci-fi fans out there, you have that where people are having to produce their own electricity by being on a bike all day long. I'm, I'm telling you, as dystopian as it sounds, the left does like this kind of stuff. They eat, live, and breathe it. They thrive on it. I'm Chad Adams, your guest host, sitting in for Pete Callender. It's been an absolute honor and privilege. I'm going to be back tomorrow, but Pete will be here. I'll just be before Pete tomorrow. So do stay tuned as always. We appreciate you. Call, be informed, and we'll talk at you soon. Signing off for now. Have a great day, folks.